After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! It's here, it's arrived, we're ready to go. It seems like we've had to wait longer than a little over three months, Josh, for the NHL season to resume. I don't know about you, but I'm just happy it's back and we're playing games once again. We had hockey in the summer. We had off seasons in the winter. It was bizarre. But yes, once the puck dropped, all is forgiven. Let's get back to hockey. It is bizarre a world, but we will take it. We had plenty of action on the opening night. We've got 11 games on night number two. And now it's the second, third, fourth. We're going to head into the weekend. It's 116 days of consecutive hockey. I think that should satisfy everyone's fix. I, I think so. I hope so. It feels like sometimes the season never ends, but this is more of a sprint and it's going to be a good one. And we're looking forward to it. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It is powered by Team Stripes. They are your source for officiating equipment, apparel, training tools, everything you need. Check them out online. GoTeamStripes.com is the website. He's Josh. I'm Todd. You can follow us on our social media channels. To get Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs, of course, on Twitter and on Instagram. Follow me at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, we accept the old-fashioned email, heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. We've got rules to talk about. We've got signals to talk about. We've got a few other interesting things. I like the way... I Let me rephrase that. Josh, I like the idea of how they opened the season in the Pittsburgh and Philadelphia game. I thought there was a little something off with the execution, but it was nice to see Kelly Sutherland welcome everyone. It was. You know, with Wes McCauley working the game, I, I figured Wes was going to kick things off. And <laughs> I see Kelly line up in the dot there and then move the guys back. You know, with what we've seen at World Juniors, I said, all right, maybe he's, he's going to say something, but I wasn't expecting what he actually said. Yeah, and it sort of struck me as... This was kind of a cool idea, and as you mentioned, it was done a few times in the World Junior Championships. We heard referees give messages to the players on the ice, and but to me, this had the league marketing and PR flax written all over it. Gentlemen, we've all waited with excitement for this day. Welcome to the start of the NHL 2021 season. Best wishes to all of you. Stay safe, stay healthy, let's have a great battle. It didn't strike me as this was genuinely what Kelly Sutherland would say. He was trying to remember the script that they gave him, which was, I think, a good, like, it was a good idea, but I didn't think it was executed well. I'm always a fan whenever the officials get on, and I love to sure. hear their thoughts and the interactions, and Sutherland's a, a great guy, a great communicator, always talking out there. It may be a good opportunity to speak from the heart, although really that's that's a tightrope. That's not something I think the league really has uh, embraced is improvisation. So I guess they were going for a, a more controlled environment here. Lawyers hate surprises. Is that <laughs> the best way to maybe phrase that than sort of express it? That is. 
Yeah. Okay. Before we go too far, I had notes to say we should have predictions as to when we were going to have, say, the first offside challenge controversy and maybe the first suspension. But I don't think we're going to have to wait too long on the suspension thing. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming. You know, I, I put a poll out on Twitter of, of what do you think we were going to see first, the, the fighting signal or a suspension or an offside call. Didn't didn't think we would have it. But, you know, looking back, Todd, we've rarely made it through the preseason without a suspension for some crazy on ice activity. So, you know, true opening night, I, I guess, should have been no surprise. OK, so what happened if you have not seen the clip yet? That's surprising because it's everywhere on social media is the Department of Player Safety has informed Sammy Blay of the St. Louis Blues. He's having a hearing because as he was swinging around the net of the Colorado Avalanche on opening night, he caught defenseman Devon Taves with a shoulder to the head that wound up knocking him out of the game. Sammy Blay received a two-minute penalty for elbowing. He is going to get more during the hearing. I'm thinking he's getting a couple of games for sure. I think he should. And typically, the league doesn't fine for illegal checks to the head. And that's what this was booked as. That's what they're reviewing. So I would expect a game or two. This is not the first time Blay's gotten away with one of these. You look back November last season, at similar play going behind the net. He kind of chicken-winged a guy and took him out. That player wasn't necessarily injured or knocked out and did return to the game so this is a move of his and I'm, I'm sure it's something that the league doesn't want to see continue so definitely a game or two I, I know they've taken illegal checks to the head seriously so I am expecting a suspension on this one I, I think that will be the mark of the first suspension we did have our first fight of the season I did not notice the new signal for fighting that you had mentioned on the website, on the social channels for scouting the refs as well. But I, I am happy that we do now have an official signal for fighting in the league. So am I. And it was it was an opportunity lost by the TV crew. They should have had the camera ready to go <laughs> so we could see the first ever fighting signal officially since it was officially placed into the rulebook because it's uh, it's nice to have. It's it's not something that's existed in the past. It is something that we've seen some of the officials improvise on in in making those fighting calls. And I know everybody remembers Wes McCauley, but Wes wasn't the first. And I'm sure there may have been others. But Dan O'Halloran was one of the funniest and most animated <laughs> fists flying to make the fighting call that I have ever seen. He looks like the real-life version of the Rock'em Sock'em robots when he makes that call. <laughs> yes, and he kept going. Uh, we've got the clip up when, uh, when we mentioned the, the rule changes. As he's skating over to the timekeeper, he's, he's rolling a couple punches there. He turns, a few uppercuts, a couple jabs. He turns, does a few more before he skates away. So uh, pretty funny and uh, you know, a great moment. Just a little personality there from Dan O'Halloran and uh, a new fighting call that hopefully we can see the referees embrace and put their own uh, sort of boxing spin on it. That's right. So when they skate over towards the uh, crease in front of the penalty box, turn on their mic, hoping that it works, we will now hopefully get <laughs> the big double fist, rock'em, sock'em robots and everything. This is good. And again, this is an opportunity for, for personality to come forward in the game. I think it's good to see this from officials as well. It it's, it's allows them to put their little bit of, uh, of an exclamation point on the game. And it's something that fans enjoy, right? People look forward to Wes McCauley's comments and even the league promoting Wes with some of their uh, uh, TikTok and Instagram clips that he's done uh, either during the offseason or leading up to the season. So 
there's a desire there to get to know some of these guys a little bit or to see them interact uh, more personally. So from Sutherland speaking to the, the Macaulay clips to having these signals and just loosening the reins a little bit, like again at the World Juniors with giving those guys a chance to make a comment before the opening faceoff with their mics open, those kinds of things. I think people have warmed up to that. And I, I really think it does a lot of building goodwill towards the officials. So uh, more of it would be welcomed. It's fun. It's a sense of humor. I think it's a I think it's a good thing. Now, we didn't have any offside rule challenges last night Whew. for goals. But yeah, <laughs> OK, that's one one down and 115 nights to go, hoping that we can get through this unscathed. But I, I am expecting it. And I, I like how you did a little digging to find out about this new offside goal challenge and how it's changed this year. The challenges it would have allowed more goals last year had the rule been as it is this year with the skate allowed to be levitating in the air above the blue line. That's correct. It would have been 14 more goals last season under the new rule. So we had 14 cases where a goal was waved off. It was deemed offside challenged where under the new rule, that goal would be allowed to stand because the player's skate was on the right side of the blue line, but elevated off the ice. So it's not a huge change, but you know when you look at how many offside challenges there were last year, that's that's a big number. Uh, that that does change it pretty significantly as far as the impact to those teams who are losing goals potentially because a skate was in the air. Now, the one thing we don't know, at least I don't know. Maybe you did do a, an extensive amount of research. I'm wondering. You can't say this for certainty because it requires speculation. But I wonder if that would have changed the outcome of a game. Would had that been a tying goal, perhaps, or a go-ahead goal that was disallowed? Yeah, I didn't get into that level of detail, just digging through all of the offside plays. But you know, <laughs> I, I didn't mean to throw that on. But it's this is where the, the this is where it gets intriguing. That you know, if this goal had been in the third period and the the play was ruled offside, the goal disallowed, and it had prevented a team from tying the game then, yeah, I guess it would have impacted the results somewhat. Right. And, you know, hockey is such a competitive, low-scoring game anyway that a goal at any point, whether it put the team up by three or whether it was a game-tying mm -hmm. goal, there's so many situations where that one goal makes such a big difference. And as the league looks at these rule changes and, and making those tweaks, you have to realize all of the situations that will come into play here because each goal, each power play, each penalty, they're all so significant when you have low scoring affairs like we do. So yeah, I would say they're all pretty key. And if those 14 goals, which we're assuming are in 14 different games, if those tip the scales one way or another, I mean, that's the difference between a team making or missing the playoffs potentially. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's powered by Team Stripes. GoTeamStripes.com is the website you need to check out for officiating equipment and much more. Now, of course, we're talking about the offside challenge rule and new this year as well is the puck and player tracking, which is being inched out ever so slowly into the games and the leagues. I'm not sure what broadcasters are going to do with it. Everybody seems a bit flummoxed as to what they could and should be doing with it at this point. And no one other than you is suggesting Maybe let's use it for good and really find out whether a play is offside or a puck has crossed the goal line. <laughs> Call me crazy, Todd, but the first thing I think of <laughs> when you give me new technology and something that can tell me where the puck is, is how can we use that to improve the game on the ice? So 
what can we do to make it better for the guys? What can we do to make it affect the outcome or more accurately reflect the play on the ice? And, and to me, player and puck tracking is great, but knowing when the puck crossed the blue line for an offside call, knowing whether or not the puck crossed the goal line to actually be a goal, I mean, that, that would be huge in itself. And then even taking it as far as the height that a puck was deflected in for a goal, or even if a, a puck out of play was deflected before it went over the glass. I think those situations, and this technology exists, they can calculate the puck's location for those. And maybe it's an accuracy issue right now, but for me, that's where the greatest potential is for puck tracking, is for actually using it to improve the game, not just to generate more data. Now, this would be used at the National Hockey League level. I don't know that it's going to filter down too far into the AHL, ECHL, and certainly not not much further than that. And is that partially why there's some reluctance to, to really expand this quickly, do you believe? Because you, you don't want all the rulings to be made by the so-called eye in the sky. No, you, you don't. I think you want to use technology to help you. And that's something that the league has often said is that they want to use any technology that becomes available to them to help make the right call or to help support the officials mm-hmm. in doing their jobs. I think cost, number one, is, is a huge issue. To roll sure. that out into all the AHL buildings is one thing. That being said, maybe an AHL building that shares an NHL facility would have the ability to use that, at least on a trial basis, because you've already got the infrastructure in place. So I think it's something you don't want the lower levels to be relying on when it comes to making a call. But when you're at that top level, when you are the the largest uh, hockey league in the world, and you can get the call right of knowing specifically when the puck crossed the goal line, I, I think you do it. And you make that part of what your approach is. And you understand that lower levels can't do it, and they're going to do the best they can all the way down Mm -hmm. we're doing it with the offside calls now with the skate off the ice and if that rule trickles down to the lower levels it's going to happen in leagues that don't have the benefit of replay and certainly not the replay cameras that the nhl has so they're making those offside calls real time line of sight and you know the rule change for offside i think wouldn't have been so easily made if it weren't for the prevalence of replay at the National Hockey League level. So I think we are seeing the NHL willing to push the rules a little bit because of those technological enhancements. And and that makes sense to use all of the available tools, all of the available technology to ensure that you get the call correct. And that's and that's what the league seems to have done in in so many different areas, not just player tracking and puck tracking, but in in so many other areas. Yeah. And it's smart, right? You don't want gadgets for the sake of gadgets, but you want to try to find those things of maybe we're doing too much with these coaches challenges. Maybe we need to make it a penalty and not use a timeout. So those those little tweaks along the way have have shown that they want to use what's available to make the right call. But we do still want to limit it. And ideally, we want the calls to be made by the guys on the ice and get it right the first time anyway. But technology is a good safety net. Exactly. Wherever possible, they make the call. It's just in case a little assist is needed. And trying to be nimble and keep things moving ahead is what the league is going to have to do this year with the circumstances in life and COVID that we're still dealing with. If if teams have significant numbers of players test positive for COVID, then they're trying to make accommodations. They're using the taxi squads this year. I did pick up from Elliot Friedman's column from Sportsnet that it appears that the officials are kind of included that if there 
as, as long as one referee is is available, if if it does become necessary to keep a game going, that they will they will go with a one referee system. But you've got a lot more info on how the league is working with the officials and and how they're operating this year with the Northern Division as well. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to go back to those three man games in the AHL. And ideally, they don't want to have to do that. And I know at the NHL level, they're going to do everything they can to keep those four man crews intact. Certainly, you don't want to expose anybody. You don't want to take risks, but you'd like to keep the structure of the game intact as much as possible. And thankfully, uh, the NHL has a greater ability than some of the other leagues to make sure they've got guys, there's coverage available, whether it's the NHL guys jumping divisions or bringing somebody up who's an AHL, NHL official. So that'll be interesting to see. I, I don't expect the NHL going with any three-man crews. It'd be fun, but I, I don't expect to see that no, one. unless it's a last-minute thing. Right, right, right. Hey, and that, and those have happened, right? And and we've we've seen that before when an official gets injured or, or someone's mm-hmm. ill at the last minute, and, and they've done it, and they've, they've worked games that way. So all of these guys have worked that at some point in their careers, and there's no issue with making that adjustment. A little bit more skating, a little bit more tiring, but not not something that's <laughs> not in their wheelhouse necessarily. The interesting thing to me is going to be the officiating alignment because we do have the four divisions and we see that the teams are effectively bubbled in their divisions. The officials won't be. They'll be rotating around. So at least in the U.S., we will see officials shared across the three divisions there. North of the border, though, we will have a, a set group of officials handling the North Division. So it'll be... Those teams seeing each other, and they'll be seeing the same officials every handful of games. I'm intrigued to see how that will play out when we do get to the playoffs. I, ideally, we'll we'll have a little cross pollination, and the league will figure out a way to to make that happen. It's of course going to depend on which teams are advancing in the postseason. But all of the Northern Division officials are going to referee games in Canada. But you you think that you'd want to include at least some of them when you get down to the final four with the conference finals, and that's where the first time that the Canadian teams left will play a U.S.-based team. Right, and I think they'll be bringing a few of the officials with them. You know, Hopefully they get some representation there, but it does make for those interesting situations like we saw finishing last season with the bubble of the officials that worked in Toronto hadn't seen those Edmonton teams until the conference finals. So you have that familiarity with the one group and that lack of familiarity with the other group. It'll make for some interesting games for sure, and when an important playoff game is the first time this referee has seen that team all season, it's pretty high stakes. Sure is. It sure is. Now, the other thing that you may have picked up on as games began on opening night, and Josh had a piece on this on the website, scuttingtherefs.com, the NHL has now officially switched whistles. These are now the Fox 40 P-less whistles, the call after named after the late John McCauley. And I, I think it's time that they did make the switch. Yeah, it's a nice tribute to McCauley the man who was in charge of league officiating for a few years there before his unexpected passing. And then his son, Wes, obviously uh, probably the most popular referee in the league right now. So a a nice honor for him and a change that the league had made. This is something that wasn't entirely new. They'd been using the call in outdoor games because the traditional pee whistles uh, between the metal, between the cork, the moisture, they had a tendency to freeze. And to avoid that, they went to the P-less whistle for some of those outdoor games They shifted to it last season to test it out, uh, just trying to see if maybe it would be better with COVID concerns and does it affect the airflow that's coming out and and maybe this is a safer alternative. But apparently they liked what they heard. 
because they have switched to it, and that is the new official whistle of the NHL. So pretty interesting. I, I don't know if anyone has heard the audible difference there. It's, it, it is close, but if you've heard enough whistles, you'll, you'll definitely hear the, the slight difference in the tone of the whistle. One of the things I recall hearing about a reluctance to make the switch was with the whistle that has the P inside, it was easier to have a little bit of tone in that you you didn't have to blow the whistle as hard all the time. You could just do a quick little blow and ju- or just lightly, and you could indicate that the play had come to a stop or get a player's attention. With the, with the P-less whistle, apparently you have to blow a little harder. I would compare it as just being, yeah, a little, a little less... Uh artful in how you do it because it's it's just put the air in and and you're getting the chirp out i love going back to the guys in the i'd say the late 80s and 90s and you hear a lot more dynamics in their whistle usage there Mm -hmm. you hear oh you know whistling through their teeth as they're yelling something and you get like the little chirps you get the rolling chirps you get all, all kinds of different sounds i haven't noticed that with the new one so whether it's just the the feature that the P gave a little more character to it, but uh, obviously the, the P also held a little bacteria, made it a little harder to clean. So something that perhaps is more sanitary and the officials seem to be okay with it. I hope the fans at home are okay with the sound as well. Undoubtedly, someone will say, oh, it oh, yeah. sounds different and I hate it. I, so because people have, hate change. We have heard that. What's wrong with the whistles? <laughs> Do not adjust your television. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. One other bit of news that we want to wrap up with. Haley Moore has been named to the position of Vice President Hockey Operations for the American Hockey League. Moore will be responsible for overseeing the league's on-ice operations, including management of the AHL officiating program and the league's disciplinary process. A little background on Ms. Moore from 2017 to 19. She was the deputy commissioner and director of player development for the NWHL. She was a two-year captain, two-time Ivy League selection playing at Brown University. She skated professionally with the Boston Blades of the Canadian Women's Hockey League, as well as in Switzerland. She's also served as an assistant coach for the women's team at Harvard University. Congratulations, and this is, I think, a wonderful appointment for the American Hockey League, and I think this is a great step in the right direction. It absolutely is. I I, I like this hire. I like finding the best candidate that's out there and finding somebody who has experience at a few different levels in team management, working with the league, and playing experience always comes in handy. So I think it's a it's a great fit. You know, reading more about her and, and becoming more familiar with her background. Uh, looks like a, a smart person to come in and and take this on. Part of her duties, like you mentioned, will be the on-ice officiating, which is an ongoing relationship. The NHL and AHL have that partnership to help develop NHL officials there. So she'll be working closely with a lot of the NHL officiating managers just to make sure that it's the right structure and how everything's organized and how games are assigned and things like that. So I, I think you know, bringing somebody in with that kind of background and knowledge... I wish her nothing but success, and I think she's well prepared to do exactly that. And just because she has not played in the American Hockey League does not disqualify her. And I'm glad to see that we see more moves in that kind of direction with the NHL and with hockey in general. Absolutely. You know, it's it's one of those things. I remember a, a joke a while back. What's the qualifications to be a head coach in the NHL? Well, you have to be a head coach mm. in the NHL. I mean, that's that's it, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you see the same guys recycled over and over again. So 
I think bringing in somebody with a perspective outside the league and, and bringing in someone who's seen different leagues, different organizations, had different experiences, I think that that diversity is important. And there's a lot that you can bring from your leagues or your background that that Haley will be bringing to this role. So I, I, I think it's phenomenal. I love bringing people in who have uh, varied backgrounds. No, you don't want everybody who just came up through the AHL to, to do what we've always done. You want somebody who can come in with something fresh. And I, I'm I'm very excited to see her take and, and what changes and what improvements she makes as VP of Hockey Ops in the AHL. The game is back. The games are going once again. We're going every night and we're excited about it. We look forward to seeing what happens lying ahead. And that's the best part. We don't know what's next. The Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out. GoTeamStripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Scouting the Refs, Instagram at Scouting the Refs, and visit ScoutingTheRefs.com. Scouting the Refs.